Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley. This is a special encore segment of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. On Saturday, millions of people across America, including right here in Boston, will celebrate Juneteenth, first celebrated on June 19, 1865, 156 years ago, the day when enslaved people in Texas found out they were free two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. The event, which first had the most meaning for the people of Texas, has now become an observance that recognizes the history, but also embraces the broader issue of the meaning of freedom today. Over the years, Boston has marked Juneteenth in citywide ceremonies, private gatherings, public forums, and celebrations. The recent racial reckoning sparked a renewed interest in the holiday. Nearly every state in the country recognizes it, and this year, many employers gave staffers the day off. There are even a few songs written in honor of Juneteenth, like this one performed by Gladys Bentley. Listen again to my conversation from four years ago with three well-known local Juneteenth celebrants. Barry Gaither, director and curator of the Museum of the National Center of African American Artists. He is also a special consultant of the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. Also with me, Malia Lazu, lecturer at the MIT Sloan School of Management and former president of Epicenter Community Incorporated, a Dorchester-based nonprofit and Napoleon Jones Henderson, a visual artist whose commissioned work can be found in locations across Boston. Jones Henderson is also an early member of the historic African-American artist collective known as Afrocobra. He has participated in Juneteenth celebrations for more than 20 years. All right, so let me set the table for our discussion with this brief history of Juneteenth. People may know that President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. It should be noted that during the Civil War, many enslaved men and women freed themselves by joining the Union Army or by fleeing to free states. But the word of the proclamation was slow to get to many living in the southern states, particularly to those living in Texas, which was effectively cut off from the rest of the Confederacy. And in truth, slaveholders in Texas were in no hurry to tell anybody. Even slaveholders in Louisiana took advantage. They moved slaves to Texas, swelling the population to nearly 200,000. Nevertheless, truth will rise, and on June 19, 1865, Union General Gordon Granger officially made the announcement through Order Number 3 when he stepped out onto the balcony of Galveston's Ashton Villa, which ironically was the headquarters for the local Confederate Army. Here is a piece of that announcement recited by an actor in the PBS documentary, Juneteenth, A Celebration of Freedom. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, 
All slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. So that's the history of Juneteenth, but I want to talk about today how and why it is celebrated, and particularly in Boston. Let me begin this way. Barry, when did you first know about Juneteenth and begin celebrating? I think I first knew about Juneteenth from the Midwest, perhaps Chicago or Michigan, never here. Here, the first real acquaintance with Juneteenth is accountable to Napoleon, who has a very good friend, Ibn Pori Pitts, who lived and worked in Detroit. And Ibn Pori Pitts used to come to visit Napoleon about this time every year, and sometimes would come over and create an installation on the grounds of the museum. And in fact, we have the materials from most of the ones that he did over a course of years. When I first came to New England, which was in the latter years of the 1960s, and I was living in Providence, at Emancipation Day was celebrated, but it was August 1st. Hmm. And in truth, in New England, the earliest celebrations associated with emancipation would have been out of the tradition of watch night. And these would have happened on January 1st and typically involved reading aloud generally in churches the Emancipation Proclamation. So Juneteenth comes to me from a Midwestern experience where it had come up the river from Texas and then becomes at home in New England, I think, a little later. Okay. That's Barry Gaither. He's my guest, and he's at the Museum of the National Center of African-American Artists. Napoleon, since you were name-checked, how did you first know about <laughs> Juneteenth, and when did you begin celebrating? Well, similarly to Barry, I grew up in Chicago, so, you know, I had the uh, advantage of knowing about it. But it was differently uh, remembered and given names, diff simultaneous names in Chicago, Emancipation Day, as well as Juneteenth. But Moving here in 1974, here being to Boston, Ibn Pori Pitts and I have, since 1968 forward, been going all over the world doing all kinds of artistic uh, installations and various artistic endeavors. And in 1979, there began a rather loose but national movement toward reestablishing Juneteenth as an annual celebration. And in 1982, uh, Ibn and I started the celebration of Juneteenth here in Boston, in Roxbury in particular, at my home, the uh, Edward Everett Hale House. And we did that continually every year from 1982 to 2002 for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And each year, the celebration focused itself around cultural events. First, we would have an introduction to the history of Juneteenth in itself and its relationship to us as a people. And also, we had an invited artist exhibition. Most often, it was Ibn, but we have had presentations by different artists, poets, and musicians, and a full day of activity that included the entire families. And so we had that for 20 years, and in addition to it, just around the corner from me were five brownstones that had been boarded up, and they had these four-by-eight sheets of plywood that covered the entire front of the building for safety purposes. 
We commandeered those on the mm. very first Juneteenth and did a mural, which was refurbished huh. every year for the full 20 years wow. of Juneteenth celebrations up in uh, at my home. Thank you, Napoleon. That's my guest, and that's Napoleon Jones Henderson, a visual artist who's been celebrating, as you've heard, these Juneteenth celebrations up in Roxbury for 20 years. Over to you, Malia. When did you first learn about Juneteenth, and when did you start celebrating? Well, growing up in Hawaii, I actually first learned about Juneteenth when I moved here. It's not a holiday. That's a well-known holiday in Hawaii, although hopefully that'll change now that people are hearing this because I'm sure the three of us are more than willing to go to Hawaii and help yeah. organize yeah. Yeah, me too. a Juneteenth celebration, <laughs> right? You're down as yeah. well. But it was moving here and hearing about the history at Franklin Park and in Roxbury, and it was really, for me, it seemed like similar to Kwanzaa. It was one of those moments that are ours, right? That's ours and that we can celebrate it how we want. And maybe even that other people don't really know about it was also sort of intriguing to me. Well, I have to say, I was a young adult. And being from Memphis, Tennessee, you would think being so close to Texas, I would have heard sooner. Also with folks from Chicago and Mississippi, and I have relatives in Louisiana, but I really was not aware until somebody said to me, what do you mean you don't know about Juneteenth? So that was years and years ago, and ever since then, I've kept up with it and paid attention to the celebrations that have now become, Barry Gaither, international. A lot of people don't realize that this celebration of an event that took place in Texas of a particular moment has really broadened its appeal in terms of what it represents now. So speak to what it represents now for a lot of people. And if you would, how is it that it's been picked up internationally? I think what has resonance for black people everywhere in the world from the period of World War I, World War II, forward is first the ending of the colonial era and the reclamation of our own sense of heritage as we all set about to make new settings for ourselves that are post-colonial. And the colonial era is always attached to the slave era. Mm -hmm. So we say slavery and post-colonial. So as those identities are cast off, whether in the Caribbean, on the continent, or in populations in Europe, the new emotional need is to assert who we are. And how you assert who you are is by restoring a sense of lineage, mm -hmm. of cultural lineage. That's one of the things that holidays do. They create the opportunity for you to teach your children something about you and your experience that they can pass along. If you're just tuning in, we are re-airing a special segment of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and in 2017, I spoke to Barry Gaither, Malia Lazu, and Napoleon Jones Henderson about the significance and evolution of the Juneteenth holiday. Malia over to you, because one of the things that's been happening at your celebration, though, or the one that you sponsor at the MFA, and you've made clear, is that it's brought in a different audience. Your first comment was, this felt so special, it was our holiday. But now it's become much broader in that setting. Talk to me about how you've seen people embrace it in the same way that Barry has just discussed why it resonates outside of America. Why does it resonate for all kinds of folks at the MFA? Absolutely. So I should start by saying that James Pierre and a few other artists that we were talking to 
came up with this idea of how do we get intentional with not only working with institutions to have them be more broad in in their approach, but also have places for us to go or claim these institutions. And working with the Museum of Fine Arts, we realized that Juneteenth, it being a celebratory um, holiday, was a very intentional way that we could bring people together. So we started the first year in the Drucker rooms and What we really wanted to do with this moment is use it as a time to reflect internally. And and I think, you know, part of the tradition that this story and that this holiday tells is one of freedom and one of overcoming. And that's really what what we wanted to celebrate and, and to use our culture as has been done for so many years to help us tell our story. Um, and we were also excited about being able to collaborate with a museum that it seems a little odd. You know, it's like taking the blackest holiday, putting it at one of the whitest institutions. And so that's been wonderful to see. And I think what we see, um, you know, we get a lot of young people, about 5,000 people come to the event every year. And it's a free event, you it's a, And that's yes. why we do Same it on Wednesdays. Marriage. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it can mm-hmm. be free for the museum. And what we see is people wanting to come together to learn about a culture that they may feel paralyzed in in how to explore. The last time we did the event and we did an opening, a young woman stood up and just started dancing while Umalani was singing and did this beautiful African dance with her eyes closed just in this moment. And for her to be able to express herself that safely in a in an institution like the museum, I think is great. I also want to say that our first event actually also featured Representative Byron Rushing mm. explaining to us how Juneteenth is a made up story. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. we're also willing to take you know we're willing to have conversations about the whole bit. Okay, so that leads me right to you, Napoleon, because at the center of all of these celebrations, there have always been artists. There has always been artistic expression as a way of not only remembering, but putting people in the context of today What and looking at freedom in, in a contemporary way, really, of uh, issues that concern freedom. And I want you to speak to why that's important. And as the artist, who is usually a part of a celebration like that, what is it that you see happens when you are able to help people embrace a holiday like Juneteenth? I would say a number of factors, but to what Barry and Malia has indicated, is that we had five principal components to our celebration of Juneteenth, which were education, art, culture, family, and history. Because I would say that the international aspect of Juneteenth has been principally carried by the descendants of that Emancipation Proclamation in the sense that we have traveled all over the world. So we have had international presence as individuals, and we have shared our stories with individuals from those different locations we've been in. But as far as the art and culture is concerned, those component parts, the visual aspect of the manifestation of our history, family history, community history, state history, and national history, has always been portrayed by artists through music, through dance. Uh, You played the introduction piece and through theater as well as through the visual arts. And so I would say that even the more personal aspect of the visual arts, which most people more often than not don't think of it concretely as visual art, are the photographic albums that families have made over the years of celebrating Juneteenth as family celebrations and as community celebrations. And so we 
being visual artists like myself and Ibn, have had the opportunity to look back at a lot of those types of photographs and things, and they helped us generate uh, visual compositions that we would do in the contemporary time being ourselves, as well as those sort of sharings with other artists throughout, because at our celebrations over those 20 years, we had artists who have come from all of the Caribbeans, from South America, from Africa, and from other parts of the world where African people live and exist. So the aspect of the cultural visual component is a very, very much a part of how we are able to communicate literal or literary traditions and Im information much more broadly. And so it also becomes an instrument by which people who would own the art of the visual manifestations of, if you will, Juneteenth, can have them in the presence of their homes year-round. So it's not just a one-time-a-year celebration, but it's a throughout-the-year celebration because of the component of the visual arts. Let me pick up on something each of you have said as we wrap this conversation, and that is you've all mentioned the passing on of the story, of the legacy, of the lineage, of the history, and the importance of that. And we all sit here, and we're people who know about it and are older. I want to, you to speak to the importance of those young people, the generations of folk now who are just tapping into this. Malia, I'll start with you. So I will say that a majority of our community are millennials. And what's been so wonderful is seeing not only them embracing this notion of Juneteenth, but also understanding that they do walk in this lineage and that they walk in, you know, artists walk in the lineage of Napoleon and, and others who understand that creating art is a beautiful way to express your freedom. So what we've seen with our millennials, the meaning for them is freedom more than slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, especially for millennials, they're much more um, excited about being happy and joyful. Um, and so I think for them, the idea that through so much hard work, we have become free is what's exciting. And then maybe even wondering, are we free? Mm -hmm. Which one of our, um, our young poets asked that question as well. Very young people, uh, new generations. Uh, I think a fundamental purpose of all of this is to challenge understanding. That applies to young people and to not so young people. Freedom is not simple license. What are the obligations and responsibilities that attend freedom? So those questions, which are, you might say, heavier questions, are really at the bottom of things. We need for the survival of ourselves and our children and our posterity to look beyond those surfaces and beyond the shallow moment and to really think about it. No one can give you freedom. Freedom is a consequence of the willingness to act. And when you act, you put yourself in jeopardy. That's what it means to be free, to step out without guarantee and to be able to hold to community when you need it, but also to stand on your own when principle compels it. Napoleon, young generations. The young new generation. Look back in order to go forward more concretely because we will go forward foolishly if we do not pay attention to what we need to do in the concrete context. And the manner in which Juneteenth, in its initial uh, inception and going forward, 
has been to ground the celebration in the affirmation and continuance of family and history, and that on that premise, one will maintain their sense of self, and through one sense of self, one has freedom. Because freedom starts from yourself. It's nothing given to you. Get busy and do the work. Thank you very much. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We're on the web at wgbh.org news under the radar with Callie Crossley and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubeli and Angela Yang and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Ipta Sam El Maliki. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.